So welcome to another Ask a Negotiator podcast series in which former hostage and crisis negotiator Philip Williams answers your questions on negotiation. Phil, welcome back. How are you doing outside the world of Cedar? I, I, am, I am here. I am well. I am carrying on regardless. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what we're all doing these days. But the, um, I, you know, the thing I used to enjoy most about these podcasts was, was getting your insight on negotiation. But I've got to say, it's now the treats that you're bringing. You know, <laughs> last time we had uh, that lovely panettone. This week, I think, in my opinion, you've upped your game with a sausage roll. So I'm not sure where, where, where you can go next. <laughs> God, now you have set the challenge, <laughs> yeah. haven't you? Yeah. So yeah. it... it it's actually possibly a, a lesson in um, influence because that would be reciprocity. I'm what's known building up my credit with you yes. for when this all comes tumbling down and I need you to be merciful to me. Yeah. Or when, when, when the pubs open, it'll be me to get the first round right. in. But okay. on to the serious stuff. Um, this week we have obviously another question and it's from a gentleman called John Owen of Bernicia Marine. And his question is this. A hostage situation could be very disruptive on business and life in general. What particular skills would a hostage and crisis negotiator bring to an organization and the management team, which would enable them to remain focused on delivery of products and services to their customers? It's, uh, that is an interesting um, question because for me, um, I often think about the parallels between my sort of hostage world and the business world. And the fact that a hostage situation, as the questioner asked, could be very disruptive on business and life in, ge in general is quite frankly an understatement. <laughs> um, and actually, just to put, to illustrate that point, it reminds me of um, a Danish film that I watched. It's called A Hijacking. If listeners are interested, it's apparently based on a true story. And it's uh, the story of a Danish merchant ship and its crew who were taken hostage by pirates. Now, the CEO of the company that owned the ship decides that he, as a leader, that uh, their role includes negotiating directly with the hostage takers for the release of the crew and the ship. And the story of the film shows the impact of this crisis on that company. It really illustrates how, if you like, a company that is doing its business, unusual, business as usual mm -hmm. steps into the unknown when it becomes involved in a crisis, um, which in terms of duration, <laughs> you might think uh, could be starts off as hours and then moves through potentially into days, weeks, months, or as I've known in some of the ones I've dealt with, years. And the strain on the CEO, the management team, the employees, and even the families of all that are involved is merciless and unforgiving. And this is why it really does require a different approach and the skills and lessons that certainly I learned as a hostage negotiator and that could bring to a company as they struggle to manage both the crisis and maintaining business as usual 
um, is invaluable. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, you know, I started off as a, as a junior hostage negotiator, but as through the years I grew and eventually took charge of the sort of response in the UK, what the questioners is asking actually became more and more my role was when was to go into companies that were faced with a hostage crisis or a terrorist incident and to coach them in how to survive the crisis and maintain business as usual. Um, In perhaps a sort of almost ironic and perverse way is when COVID took hold in March, it was like one of those deja vu moments for me because I realised that the world had been taken hostage by COVID-19 and that we were now all under siege with the virus as the hostage taker. Um, as you know, I I wrote a series of articles and podcasts, many of which you posted for me, that illustrate some of the lessons that I learned, um, which could help whether we're talking about COVID as a siege or we're quite frankly talking about any company faced in any crisis the, the sort of some of those lessons are perhaps worth thinking about mm-hmm. by the leadership of organisations when they're faced with a crisis. Mm-hmm. So for people who haven't um, read that article, I, I remember sending it to my dad and he said, at the start of lockdown, he said every day he tried to religiously apply and do the things that you said. And he said he found it tremendously helpful. For, so, but for the people who haven't read those articles or, or listened to that podcast, as a start, what would some of those tips or pointers be like to sort of manage a, a siege situation, as it were? Okay. Um, well, I often find, I've, I've actually learned in life that a good place to start is with the words that we use to describe the predicament that we find ourselves in. And in this case, the word is crisis. And it was whilst I was doing some work for the Greek hostage negotiation team uh, that I discovered that the word crisis comes from the Greek word, and now I'm probably going to pronounce it incorrectly, but krisis, which is spelt K-R-I-S-I-S. And they explain that what that really means is time to make a decision. Now, that sounds simple enough, doesn't it? Okay, so a crisis is just time to make a decision, except this beast... (laughs) is asking you to make a life-critical decision in circumstances that are absolutely not business as usual. Furthermore, you have a multitude of questions that you want answering. You've possibly got answers to a few, but most are inconclusive. And everyone is looking at you to make that decision right now. And then what will happen tomorrow is the circumstances will have changed. You'll definitely have a whole load more questions to add to your pile. And if you're lucky, a few of your questions from the previous day may have been answered. The other thing is that some or all of your decisions from yesterday might now need to change. And this you will soon discover, is a continual feature throughout the crisis. Again, whether that is hours, days, weeks, months, years, and we haven't even yet thought about all the other decisions that you need to make as business as usual. 
welcome to my world, Ben. (laughs) This is the nature of crisis and why some of the tips that we might talk about uh, and touch on really, really make a difference if you want to survive in crisis. So back to crisis Mm -hmm. and those decisions. and, And really, my first sort of real practical piece of advice and tip is you need to record those key decisions. But more than that, as a minimum, you need to make a record of the circumstances and information you had at the time on that day. And you need to go through what were you thinking in your mind. And if we call this, then this is the rationale that accounts for why I now made this decision. And however you record it, that that record uh, we used to call a decision log. Mm -hmm. And it is a lifesaver, not only for keeping track of who decides what, when through the crisis. And in a sad way, but inevitably, when it's all over and the critics circle, it becomes your conscience Mm -hmm. and your shield. So you do need to make use of it. And I, I think I explain more about how to create one, how it can help you in one of your yeah. articles. I think it was called Crisis Decision Making. Yeah, no, it's on, it's on the, the CEDA website. Mm-hmm. I think it was um, in a crisis user decision log, but I'll be sure to link it in the um, description of the podcast for people who want to read a bit more. But that, that, that's a really good point about sort of defending yourself against the hindsight police, because I imagine in, a, in the commercial world, you might be open to all kinds of like subsequent scrutiny about how you handled it. And this is a way to sort of, as you say, shield yourself against mm-hmm. it. So use a decision log. What else might help um, businesses, business teams in these kind of crisis scenarios? So uh, an often repeated phrase that we as negotiators would use when we turned up at sieges, mainly particularly to those in charges, in charge was negotiators negotiate, commanders command. And, and as perhaps my reference to that Danish film, um, really what was our message? And we were saying to those in charge is saying, look, if you take on everything, you're going to collapse with exhaustion and the whole business will suffer. Yes, your role is to lead, give direction, provide resources. And fundamental for me is cheer us on. But most importantly, um, Something, and, and this is something that you, if you look at any movie about a siege, it's it sort of the assumption is that hostage negotiation is a solo sport. Mm-hmm. The negotiator turns up and the film is how that person saves the day. Well, they don't. It's not a solo sport. It's a team game. The worst thing for me as a negotiator is if I found myself operating alone because I know just how vulnerable I am. And it is the team that brings the strength. So actually, for any leader, the mantra, negotiators, negotiator, commanders, command, what it's really saying is, yes, you are the leader, but you need to pause, possibly step sideways or even step back, which sounds really counterintuitive. But this is about being strategic and recognizing that the solution requires a secondary structure, and that is called a crisis management team. And it comes equipped with its own talent, with its own processes, skills, and experience. And it 
is there to run in parallel with the business as usual team. Now, each of these teams is meant to have its own leadership structure authorised to make decisions relevant to their mission. Mm-hmm. And in a way, if you like, if you think of the the weight of the crisis, instead of being carried by one, it's now carried across the backs of others. And this thereby allows for those at the top of any organisation to almost straddle both so mm-hmm. that they're not carrying the full weight. Um, and in so doing, it gives them an overview. It gives them the ability to gently nudge, adjust, cheer on as required to keep this thing on course. But significantly, it allows them to raise their vision to, to either what lies on or beyond yeah. the horizon. Um, and there, that is where survival, sustainability and ultimate growth because yeah. that's that's an important point you mentioned the word sustainability it's not just about can we survive this moment but how viable are we going to be moving forward yeah. that one eye on the future and is it, is it almost like creating a sort of separate business unit this crisis management team is that how people can maybe think about it in a commercial way it's um it it's separate to manage the crisis but there but it does run in parallel mm-hmm. and the join up comes at that sort of leadership level, level. because Mm -hmm. obviously what's happening in the crisis is going to impact on the business as usual. And the company does need to exist. It does need to have its oxygen, its fuel, its tick over. And that, again, will impact on the crisis. So the two do intermingle, but it's about not trying to carry the load. It's about sharing the load. And, And critically, what will help might be is I suppose is I mentioned mission earlier. So, so what is the mission? What is the purpose? And sometimes this this might help. So, if if I again go back, is in any kidnap control room around the world, and and maybe even now around the world, where there there's a team of people looking to bring back people alive, dealing with the crisis. All over the wall is displayed the mission and Mm -hmm. it's kept really, really simple. And in the kidnap, I can tell you now that there is something called the primary mission and the secondary mission. And normally the primary mission is save the life of the hostage. The secondary mission is bring offenders to justice. But the reason it's displayed prominently is to really focus the team on what we're here to do save the life of the hostage and yes bring offenders to justice however if it's about and and that directs the decision making about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do so in all this confusion of decision making that i've illustrated that sort of touchstone is if i'm going to make this decision is it going to contribute towards saving the life of the the hostage that's the primary goal uh, and is it going to contribute towards bringing the offenders to justice? If the if the answer is no on both counts, then why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. And this is about efficiency and getting your mind in order. If the answer is yes, and we want to prioritise, it's and you do need to say 
is it this or is it this, which is more important at this moment, then the primary goal is saving life. And that might trump gathering yeah. offender, uh, gathering evidence yeah. against funders. So we will, if necessary, risk losing evidence, but we're doing it in favour of saving life. So how does this play into, say, the crisis of COVID? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think in one of my articles, I might have suggested that, and we see this play out, that you know, the primary goal that governments, or current government is struggling with is to save life. But a secondary goal is actually to save the economy. Mm-hmm. And this is the real tussle that any crisis team has is where, you know, the balance between saving life and saving the economy. And it is the tussle we see play out in the news, um, which has primacy. And there is merit in both. Mm -hmm. So there is something to gain. But if I go back to my podcast from last week, which was about find the loss, Mm -hmm. as much as there is gain, as we're discovering in the news, there are costs, there are losses. And this is the challenge of crisis. It actually points to why you need a decision log, Mm -hmm. because at different times, those decisions will change according to the situation. And as we see in the news, there will be an accounting at some stage. And your decision log, as I said, is your conscience, conscience and your shield. So, Phil, we, we've talked about the need to make a decision, um, crisis decision logs, the, the, the leadership structure behind managing a crisis. But now looking at the sort of nitty gritty, the sort of practicalities, how can we go about or how can people in crisis go about actually making this happen on the ground in reality? Yeah. The, the how do we do it yeah. question. And I, I, for me, that's almost like, what's the strategy? What, what's the plan to deliver our mission? And if I turn to the world of siege, then there's the sort of standard crisis management strategy fell into sort of four blocks, which was contain, isolate, evacuate, and negotiate. And if we use the COVID hostage taking as an example how does that fit in is well containment as in the beginning is we are we still trying to do it but it's about identifying what's the problem and trying to contain it to stop it spreading in an uncontrolled manner Mm -hmm. the concept of isolation is well what's keeping it going Uh, what's feeding it What can we start maybe to turn off or restrict to stop and reduce its ability to grow? Mm -hmm. How can we stop making this get worse? The next one, evacuate. What can be done to protect those who might get hurt? Normally, it's let's evacuate them from the scene. In COVID, let's identify who the vulnerable might be. Maybe what can be applied to their circumstances Mm -hmm. to protect them from the virus? And then the fourth dimension in siege management is negotiate, which is, okay, let's start having a conversation with the the hostage takers. So you say negotiate, but how can you go about negotiating with something like COVID to to sort of use your example? Well, okay, so I go, well, you can. And I would turn to the the hostage negotiated uh, sort of mantra or strategy that we would then build in which is you need to buy time Mm 
yeah. and gain intelligence. That's what all hostage negotiators will do for the leadership when they turn up at a scene. They buy time and gain intelligence. Now, why why is that important? Well, it goes back to making decisions. And to make a good decision, you you need you need to be able to think about it, the space to think about it. And obviously, you need to have some information on which to base that decision. And that there's precious, precious little of either in a crisis mm-hmm. because everyone's on at you to get on with it and make decisions. And therefore, to use that analogy, the same can apply to a business. It's the role of the crisis team to start stabilizing the situation as best as possible. That's what a hostage negotiator does when they engage in conversation with the hostage taker. They're there to create the space, but they're also there uh, to, to actually capture as much information, gain intelligence. And this, if you, if you look at it in COVID terms, we've tried to contain, we've tried to isolate and evacuate. And we have now, through all that work that was done Uh, to protect, to learn, to develop vaccines, to treat people in hospitals. We tried to learn about the hostage taker, about COVID. And today, six months on, we are much, much wiser on how to help and protect. It's not over, though. (laughs) We're still there. Um, And again, as you know, I wrote about some of these things. I think I I think I called it your under siege, your country needs you mm-hmm. as an article about this concept of buy time, gain intelligence, because that is ultimately the thing that is going to help you to overcome the challenge that COVID is presenting. And if we think of the crisis in any business, how it's effect, how it's understanding it and how it's affecting it your business is going to enable you to make better decisions, which will help you get back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now sort of going going back to the mm. sort of leaders and the managers, mm. what d- during a siege or crisis, be it in the world of hostage negotiation or business, what are, the, what are the sort of biggest problems that they are going to face as individuals and potentially as a group right. of, of leaders? I, t- I suppose the th- words that pop into my head, which I mentioned in the earlier bit, is... And it's not over yet. Yes. And and although we laugh and, and that because it is a struggle, is is actually the word I would pick that people recognise is resilience, mm-hmm. um, because crisis is unbelievably wearing, and we're seeing that now. We could talk about the UK, but you could talk about anywhere in the world. It is becoming wearing. We're fed up of it. When is it going to end? Um. And I know, if I just look at my experience of crisis, is it's far from over. And resilience is one of the biggest factors that will not only determine whether we get through it, but what we look like mm-hmm. at the other end. And, and a couple of things I learned that help build resilience and are particularly relevant to business are... You need to prepare yourself. And and that does come from coaching and training in 
the core skills that will not only serve you well in this sort of Olympic arena, but for any other challenge, whether it's business or personal, that life throws at us. Um, I wrote a couple of articles. One was sort of, I suppose, called Maybe People Don't Need Negotiator Training because mm -hmm. people think, well, I can do this. I'm really good at it. And yes, you are. But, but do you really understand what you're doing? Because when, when it really gets difficult, when you're really in the unknown and crisis, that's where having the edge is because you do understand what you're doing and you can flex and shape yeah. your response and, and you're not just doing what you've always done because what you've always done no longer works in this world. And then the other thing is, I called it uh, fit for life, the six pack of core skills and you know, often referred to as the soft skills. And yet these, in all honesty, and everyone says it whenever I sort of coach them is, and I found it, these are the really tough things to master. But more often than not, these are the things that actually deliver. And so there's that preparing yourself. You can do something to get yourself ready. The other thing is uh, about resilience is, you know, is about encouraging, empowering, convincing, motivating, and and cheering your team on, especially at that moment of just when you think you're winning is the most dangerous time. Now, I wrote an article of that name because it was a phrase that we as negotiators often used to to say in sieges that we were coming to a point where leaders would think, gosh, yes, we're there. They've said they're going to come out. And we would go, hang on a minute. Just when you think you're winning is the most dangerous time because life's lessons are taught us. This is the time when actually... You're in your enthusiasm because you think victory is there. This you're is where you're yeah. most vulnerable. Um, and it, it, I wrote an article of that name, yeah. and, and and really because it, it, it I'm not going to, I'm not proposing we go through them. There's about eight or nine things, but they really are the skills that you can use to win the hearts and minds of those who who are feeling worn down, who do need that pickup. And and just to give you, maybe to take this a bit further, is as I was thinking about this, um, there's at the moment there's a really powerful advert on TV at the moment, which is actually about, it's a recruiting advert mm -hmm. for the Royal Marines. And in, in the advert, it presents uh, a crisis situation where the need is to go into the unknown. Mm -hmm. It's a place where, for most people, fear comes to the fore as a sort of human primeval instinct. As, as, and fear is really important to us because it's what keeps us out of danger. Yeah, quite keeps frankly. us alive. Yeah. Keeps us alive. But what if you have no choice? And you have to face that danger. How do you face the impossible? And as the advert concludes, all a Royal Marine does is change what they think is possible. And as a hostage negotiator, most of my sieges felt like facing the impossible. And I can think of a few in particular where everyone else thought it was even pointless in sending us. So, for me, crisis is not just about physical resilience. It's more about 
mental resilience. It's about a mindset to fundamentally keep going. Movement is life. Okay. And sort of, as we sort of start to think about wrapping up, are there any sort of final thoughts you have on, have on this? Yes. Uh, uh, well, I'm sh- you know, these are a few things I've thought about. Yeah. I know other, my uh, other hostage negotiation colleagues, please chip in with your thoughts yeah. on if, if this gets published. But the, f- the other thing I think is really important is you need a framework yeah. to hang this all on, uh, to navigate the journey, um, to use as a marker as to, to where are you, to be able to assess progress and ultimately achieve success by... Uh, finishing well and I I provide an example of a simple sort of framework what I call my sometimes satellite navigation of how to navigate your way through any negotiation any difficult challenge Mm -hmm. any crisis and I think it's in the article under siege a route map to success Um, so that's there but there, there is one final thing that did strike me and that I want to share because it's funny how history repeats itself. So a few weeks ago, we heard in the news of a ship in the English Channel being boarded by special forces because the crew had been threatened. And I remembered it was 19 years ago, almost to the same month, a bit Mm -hmm. further on. In fact, it was Christmas 2001 when a cargo ship called the Nisha, which was en route from Yemen, sailed into the English Channel. And it ended up being boarded by a team which included special forces because there were fears that its cargo of sugar may have been laced with something that was deadly to to the people of of the UK. As a much younger hostage negotiator, (laughs) I was brought into the crisis management team by my boss. And I I remember watching how this sort of huge oval table was filled with the heads of a sort of myriad of agencies. I mean, there were loads of important people there from military, scientists, intelligence, emergency services, you know, just to name a few. And, And... and in all honesty, I can remember that none were relishing the prospect of having their Christmas ruined by this crisis. And so how do you get this sort of disparate group of people to work together? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the party. Those were the opening words uttered by the sort of crisis meeting chair, Sir David Vaness. And it was those few words that set the tone and in terms of first impressions galvanised an awesome and lifelong lesson for me of what great crisis leadership looks and feels like. There is something that is that extra special piece of magic that holds all these tips together. And on what I want to say, I think, to people listening to this is... Uh, I would say it's you. It's about you, the listeners, it's about you, your brand is really important. And you build up your brand over time about how you behave. And you, what if you do it well, you give that sense of warmth and competence that you need to sort of nurture and grow because it draws people to you 
and it makes them give of their best to ultimately trust in you and the organization you're part of part of and that is what enables and transforms so that organizations can journey through a crisis philip thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us this week and thank you to John Owen who submitted yeah. the question. It's a really, really good one. And it just shows that the amount of um, insight and effort that you, you put into these questions. So I would, I would encourage people listening, if you're finding this series interesting, to, 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 send, to send us an email, to contact us on LinkedIn, however it is, and submit your questions for Phil to tackle because it's, it's incredibly enjoyable. And the, um, the insight you come out with, Phil, is just fantastic. So thank you. My pleasure.